today on Ag News Daily. So we've created tools that uh, work offline in the field, so you can you don't need an internet connection for uh, for the devices to. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on this Tech Tuesday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast, brought to you by our good friends at HTS Ag. I am joined by Delaney Howell, who is traveling today. Delaney, where are your travels taking you today? Well, I'm currently sitting in the airport at Dallas-Fort Worth, but I am heading to Little Rock, Arkansas for the Arkansas Farm Bureau Convention. Fun, fun, fun. I am currently in the lobby at the Hilton in downtown Des Moines at the Iowa Farm Bureau Convention. Lots of conventions going on. It is convention season, isn't it? It sure is. It's Farm Bureau annual meeting time. So, listeners, if you've got some great stories that have come out of your Farm Bureau meeting, reach out to us. You can find us on social media. Just search for Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and on Instagram. We'd love to hear your stories. Absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. Well, speaking of stories, Delaney, we had a story break earlier today that the trade deal with China is on hold. President Trump is in London. He came out and said that we may have to wait until after the presidential election in 2020 before a phase deal gets moved forward. This shocked the stock market, did no favors to a lot of the commodity markets, and basically confirmed what some of us, me, have been saying from the get-go, which is that we are not going to see a trade deal during this Uh, part of the administration yeah and to follow up on that too we got a little bit more bearish news on the trade front today from the USMCA uh, side as well because as we know the house is back in recess this week as well as the senate but according to senate finance committee chairman Chuck Grassley he said on Monday that if we do not see lawmakers vote on a deal this week It will not get done until 2020 because they've got so many other things going on during the legislative session before the end of the year, and it'll be a dumpster fire if we don't get it done this week. Oh, man. Okay. So it doesn't sound like it's going to get done this week, though, right, Delaney? No, I would say not. No, they're they're still very busy with impeachment proceedings in the House, so I've got a feeling USMCA will get pushed to the back burner. I have a feeling you are correct, Mike, but actually chatting about trade news this headline also jumped out at me today and i thought it was kind of optimistic for u.s agriculture and potentially a trade deal but china has actually publicly admitted in their media as well as national or uh, as well as international media that there is a real problem with the spread of african swine fever and actually said that they expect a whopping 6 million metric tons of imports this year alone, half of which will be pork, but they said they're also pushing to start importing quite a bit more beef to fill that protein shortage as well. Well, that is good news. That would be a welcome news to a lot of American producers, and uh, we'll just have to see if they actually follow through on it and when those purchases take place. Of course, as we talk about with China, that is always one of the sticking points. They're willing to make purchases for the future and then cancel them or delay them or otherwise uh, do what they can to manipulate prices in such a way that they can get them at a better deal. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say that they're not going to manipulate prices, but I definitely think from the sounds of it, they need the protein. They need pork or beef or poultry or something. So it's got to come from somewhere. That's a great point. That's a great point. They are, they do seem to be hurting. I did see that Chinese pork prices domestically, if you converted it to American dollars, 
whole hog carcasses are back up above 300 bucks in China, which is once again entering record territory. So it makes sense for them to go ahead and import despite the tariffs on American pork. I think that you are correct, Mike. Well, I've got some other news while we're talking tariffs. I mentioned yesterday the surprise tariffs on Brazilian and Argentinian steel imports. Uh, President Trump announced in a tweet yesterday he was going to immediately resume tariffs on Brazilian and Argentinian steel. Basically, President Trump's concern is that those countries are working to weaken their currency to make their agricultural exports more competitive and to outcompete the U.S. when it comes to making sales to China. Uh, Brazil, the Brazilian government said they are in touch right now with U.S. trade rep Robert Lighthizer. They're working to get to the bottom of this tariff dispute. They do say that it is perplexing, that's according to the Brazilian steel industry, because the Brazilian central bank has recently taken measures to strengthen their currency rather than weaken it. So they say this points to, uh, to motives that are, are not in line with what President Trump has alleged, and they're hoping that he takes this into consideration before really putting these tariffs into effect. And did we have a timeline for when those would be intended to go into effect? Well, Trump's tweet was immediately, but as far as I'm aware, we're still waiting to divine exactly what immediately means. Does it mean tomorrow, which would have been today if the, the tweet meant immediately, immediately, or is it just in the next several weeks? Um, my indication is it's going to take time to get the legal mechanisms to put these tariffs into place. Uh, so it's probably several weeks, but we shall see. Okay, Mike, I feel like we should have talked about this probably right off the top, too, but that is the continued crop repository crop progress reports that continue to come out from the USDA. As of yesterday, the USDA said that U.S. farmers still don't have all their corn crop out of the field and are sitting at about 89% harvested compared to 97% at this time last year. And a lot of the, the, the three states that jumped out to me as still having quite a bit of crop left in the field were North Dakota, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Yeah, three states that got hit again with winter weather here um, while they're trying to get harvest moved off. I tell you, I've been talking to a lot of growers here across Iowa. I'm at the Iowa Farm Bureau meeting, and uh, there are still a lot of folks in Iowa with with acres left to harvest. Um, but it is definitely those in the northern tier of counties who are really struggling the hardest, Delaney. Yes, and it doesn't sound like we are going to see colder temperatures for a little while according to some meteorologists they're saying that december should be another mild winter throughout the midwest and that's not what folks want to hear they want to hear that we're going to have a colder winter so the ground freezes and they're able to get in there and get that corn crop out but it doesn't sound like that will be the case anytime soon no, and certainly not this week. As I sit here in uh, Des Moines, there's currently a balmy 50 degrees and sunny. So a lot of the frost that entered the ground here this past weekend is uh, coming out. So that sun is doing its job. It's cooking the soil. It's making things very greasy for growers who want to get out there and uh, get those combines running again, at least here in the heart of the Corn Belt. Ooh, I've never heard that term used, making things greasy. Greasy. Mm. Greasy, Delaney. Things get greasy. All right, Mike. Well, grease up some more news for us. Well, let's see. We've got a story here that came from the National Pork Board, and this is a collection of studies done by the Environmental Protection Agency. They've got a group of data collecting uh, centers, I suppose, called the National Air Emissions Monitoring Study, the NA. 
EMS. And basically, this was put into place in 2007. And the idea is EPA wanted to look at hog facilities, namely confinement feeding operations of hogs, to determine, okay, what are the emissions really being released by these facilities? And what they've found is that emissions have actually decreased from hog facilities thanks to changes in management, thanks to changes in the ration. Emissions, air emissions, are down 18% in the past nine years. This is great news for a lot of hog producers who have been touting the work they've been doing for environmental causes. This is some science-backed or data-backed science saying that, hey, they are doing the right thing. They are reducing their air emissions when it comes to things like methane and particulates and all that other scientific gobbledygook that I don't fully understand. Um, it, it's good news, basically, from the environmental perspective for the American pork producer. Well, I have some news from our beef producing friends. Members of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association are calling on their lobbyists to work with the USDA to address the issue of the cool or country of label origin, country of origin labeling, excuse me there, um, because a lot of beef producers have been upset by the label that says product of the USA beef labels that I know we've talked about before on the podcast. So they've apparently received a lot of pressure from their producer members and so are now working to sort that issue out with the USDA specifically about the what they call disingenuous use of the product of the US beef label. Interesting. So we don't have any indication as to what they're really pushing for, just that they're looking into it. Is that where things stand from the NCBA perspective? I think so. I I think it's still a little early to know for sure. Um, but it, it just sounds like, which makes sense, um, you know, U.S. beef producers don't like it when beef has the produced in the USA label because they're the ones producing it in the USA and in that label should only be used, in their opinions, for products of the USA because we have the safest and hardiest food source, especially when it comes to our protein, and I think that's part of the concern here. Right. Just to recap for our listeners who haven't been paying close attention, right now packers can import uh, mainly the imports uh, tend towards the, the lean beef trimmings. They can blend those with – they can import these from, from Mexico is one of the more common places. New Zealand, of course, dairy beef trimmings. Uh, blend these with American beef in packing plants here in the U.S., and then they're legally allowed to say this is a product of the U.S. because that's where it was processed. And that's a distinction not a lot of consumers understand, and perhaps they're being misled by the label, is what I've heard from a lot of beef producers. So this is probably a good thing for them to look into. Yeah, and one of the suggestions, we don't know yet what's going to happen, but one of the suggestions is that there would be some sort of third-party verification saying whether or not it is a product of the U.S., Interesting. Okay. Well, we will have to keep an eye on this and to see what exactly uh, they end up putting in place to kind of monitor this situation, because as far as I'm aware, nobody is pushing for a law change, which is what would really sort of motivate that distinction to, uh, to be codified into you know, some sort of canon. Yes, I think that's right, right on the nail there. Hit the, net right on, the nail right on the head. Couldn't quite get that one, but... That's all right, Glenn. You've been drinking there in the airport, haven't you? No, I haven't. Well, that's airport bars are the best places to meet people, Glenny Hell. They're also the really expensive in airport bars. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got to pay a premium for the luxury of meeting people from around the country. <laughs> all right.
And you got to drink bourbon so you can help draw down our corn stocks oh, here nationwide. Yes, okay. Speaking of corn stocks, I have just one other piece of news before I am wrapped up, Delaney Howell, and this is coming from Jason Henderson. He is the director of the Purdue University Extension, and he was tasked with addressing a group of ag lenders. And the ag lenders asked him, are we in a period like the 1980s? This is something we've talked about a lot on the podcast. We've had a lot of folks on to discuss the, the ways in which today's economic climate for America's growers are similar to the 1980s. But Jason Henderson disputes that. He says what we're really looking like right now is a period much closer to the 1990s. From about 1989 through 2003, commodity prices plateaued. They were within a very tight range. Farm incomes declined. Farms consolidated. We started to see farmers really looking to diversify and to add off-farm income. And he thinks the next 10 years are going to much more resemble the 1990s than they are the 1980s. A key reason for that is the low interest rate allows growers to take risks maybe they wouldn't be able to in an interest rate environment like the 1980s. At the end of the day, it's not a very sunny prediction because he does predict that farm incomes will continue to stagnate. He does predict that we're going to continue to see folks exit this industry, both by choice and by force from their ag lenders. But we are going to see farmers get creative, as in the 1990s, when the American agriculture developed ethanol and really made it a nationwide force. So I thought that was an interesting take on our current ag environment there from uh, Dr. Henderson. Yeah, what do you think the next big thing will be since we have ethanol now? What's, what's next for agriculture, Mike? So my take is it's going to come down to exports. I think we're going to be exporting value-added products, be it ethanol, be it biodiesel, be it uh, DDGs, be it whatever, we are going to have to find a way to add value in this country to our agricultural production and then ship that value-added product overseas. And to do that, of course, we need to address these, uh, these trade wars that are ongoing throughout the world, uh, you know, namely started by us here in the U.S. Well, was there any positive reaction to any of this news today in the commodity markets? Mike, I am all out of news as well. Fantastic question, Delaney. Let's jump into the markets and our markets, just like our interview and the entire podcast that are brought to us by our friends at HTS Ag. Be sure to check them out if you are looking to add value through technology on your farm operation. In the markets today, we've got mixed trade. Corn down, beans up, wheat way down on the day. So let's jump in. In the corn market, the December contract was down one and a half cents at 372 even. The March down three quarters of a penny to finish at 381 and a quarter. Mild strength in soybeans with the January contract up half a penny at 871 even. The March up a quarter, closed the day at 885 and a half. And big weakness in Chicago wheat today, well, in all the wheat contracts, frankly. Chicago, December down 12 and three quarters, closed the day at 530 and a half. The March down 10, finished at 525 and a quarter. We saw mixed trade in the cattle trade today with the December live cattle contract down 20 cents at 120.55. February down 15, finished at 125.65. In feeder cattle, the January contract was up 22.5 cents to close at 142.37.50. The March down 10, wrapped it up at 142.95. Big strength day in lean hogs with the December contract up 215 to close at 62.50. The February up 222.5 finishing up at 68.37 and a half. And in dairy, slight weakness today in that class three milk contract, the December contract down two cents at 19.34, with the January down four to close the day at 18.95. 
With that, Delaney, tell us who we're talking to for this hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Well, Mike, we had a great conversation with Zach Sheely, who is the president of the Ag World U.S. Well, folks, for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday conversation, we're going to visit with Zach Sheely. He is the president of Ag World U.S. Zach, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Hey, thanks for having having me, and uh, appreciate the the opportunity to speak with you guys. Absolutely. We love exploring new platforms for growers to use to make their, or I guess I should say, to give their operation a little bit of an edge. Before we get too far into it, tell us a little bit about Ag World. What is it you guys are bringing to the table? Well, AgWorld is a collaborative farm management platform. So unlike uh, some fo- some tools that are just focused on the producer, uh, we do have that focus of the producer, but we also look at their advisors. So we bring a solution that allows uh, those agronomic or financial advisors and other service providers to work in the same system and uh, data set as, uh, as the grower. And we built uh, the whole system on a, on a on a permission system, and we've uh, we've made sure that this this solution actually works in field for for everyone, and uh, gives you the reports and, and analytics that you want um, as as you progress uh, through your season. And and bringing in all the different parties means you have a more comprehensive uh, set of information, and also means more efficiency, um, better transparency on what's going on, so communication in that, that standpoint. So we're helping uh, growers and their advisors manage all the agronomic, financial, and uh, logistical information uh, for, their, for that farm and for that field. Uh, so we go down to the, the field and, and sometimes subfield level, depending on if they're doing precision, but uh, looking at the financial, agronomic, logistical information, and we uh, help manage all the sustainability and regulatory compliance in the process. Well, Zach, let's talk a little bit about the history of AgWorld. Tell us how long have you guys been around, and what was the impetus for starting AgWorld in the first place? Yep, so we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary about a month ago, and uh, the impetus was uh, Doug Fitch, who uh, was a co-founder with Matt Powell, uh, was on farm on his on his farm and, and, his, and working with family and realizing, hey, there wasn't a good spot for um, – for growers in particular to access this information. And he had worked uh, throughout the, the value chain. So he'd worked obviously from the grower side, um, from a, an advisory side um, through some ag, ag retail and service provider aspects, and then all the way up through manufacturers, uh, uh, the, the last one being uh, Bayer, and is, was looking at this saying, hey, there, we have this problem where we need more information at the farm field level. And uh, they started off creating a, a spot for that information to be stored and structured. And Matt Powell, who, who was the technical co-founder, looked at this and said, hey, you know, there's actually really not any structured data in ag at that point. And, and so he, he looked at that and, and they, they looked at, well, we need to solve this from a job and field level at the beginning and then um, be able to provide insights to growers, their advisors in a collaborative way um, as we move on. So that's, that's how... Uh, AgWorld got started was with Matt Powell and, and, and Doug Fitch uh, there in 2009, and uh, we've grown a lot since then, obviously. And um, one of the big uh, pieces that really launched us um, to you know the growth that we've had has been our infield um, apps. So we've created tools 
that uh, work offline in the field, so you can you, you don't need an internet connection for uh, for the devices to to work for you. It stores all of that information there on the device locally, and then when you when you have cell reception or you're back on Wi-Fi, uh, it'll sync with everybody else. So that's been a really big uh, reason for our success has been those tools that work in field. So we start off at that in-field data capture level and then um, are providing those insights, obviously, both in the field and, and in the office at an aggregated level. So. And that's huge to be able to capture that data and store it locally on your phone or your tablet or whatever, because we talk to so many people that have you know, no access to broadband or they have still maybe dial up in some parts of the country. So that's huge that they're able to do that through your platform. But following up with that, Zach, what about the usability of AgWorld's app or their features? Because that's another thing we hear from a lot of growers is, well, we want to use technology, but it's too difficult or I don't want to take the time to learn how to do it. Sure. That, that is it. That is exactly, um, you know, our biggest competitor is nothing or, or, or paper and Excel and um, because that's what people are familiar with. And, and it's, hard, it's hard for a grower. They're, they're getting pulled in a lot of different directions. They're, they're managing a very complex business with a lot of different aspects to it. I mean, they're marketing, they're growing, they're, they're managing agronomy and the science aspect, the logistics. Um, from executing the jobs that need to be completed, trying to balance the financials, uh, looking at, you know, what they think the, the market trends are going to be um, when they're when they're planning out uh, what crops to grow. So it's it's a it's a complex um, environment, and so trying to add another piece there is often uh, not what they're looking to do. They're trying to make their lives more simple, not add complexity. So a, a big part of what you know we've had to do with those offline apps is um, make them really simple, really easy to use. We focus, you know, on usability in the field. We get our developers along with our account executives and everybody together out in the field with producers, and sometimes the producers volunteer to come in and like, hey, let's talk about this, let's work through this to make it as simple as possible. How can we, how can we make it so you push less buttons? You actually spend less time in our apps. Our goal is to have you just get done what you need to get done. And, and that's been a big push with um, how we're capturing and bringing information from, from different machine datas, uh, d data, data systems, um, laboratories, uh, imagery providers, uh, bringing all that in without uh, the advisor uh, or, the, or the grower having to do anything. To, let's automatically bring that data in or capture that information for them. So that's been a big, um, you know, big push for us we don't want you to have to re-enter information ever, uh, so that's that's kind of rule number one. But if we can get it without you having to touch that data at all, then that's that's obviously the best uh, solution for for everyone. Yeah. Excuse me. So let's talk a little bit about what the grower sees once I'm an Ag World user and I've got the. Uh, I've got the technology at work for me on the farm. It's automatically updating. How often do I need to log in? Why would I be logging in? What, what value gets spit back out to me um, on a daily or, or weekly basis? Sure. So that's a great question. How does this look? How does this work for, for the grower or the advisor? Um, well, it's, it's very map-based. So when you're going through uh, and navigating our system, you're, you're, you're doing that from uh, a map view, typically, if you're at a grower or an infield advisory level. 
Um, if you're somebody that's executing jobs, you kind of have this job list of to do and done jobs that you need to do. So um, what you've completed, what you, what you uh, have yet to complete, uh, you can have job order and color and status and things like that. But a lot of this is very map-based. So when you want to know, hey, how's this field doing, you just touch the map, um, the, that field, and, and a snapshot of that field comes up. So it's telling you your, your agronomic, financial, high-level uh, information, uh, just straight off the beginning of, of what's been completed or what you're planning to do. And uh, then also is listing the jobs or um, plans or recommendations that are associated with that field. You can also see, hey, what did I do last year? And that's just um, there's some high-level information that just is displayed from previous seasons um, in your snapshot. And then you can even roll back into other sequences to say, hey, what did I do in this field? What worked for me? What didn't work for me? What did I do on these other fields that worked for me that I want to replicate? In, 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 in this this particular field that I'm standing in. So uh, that's, a, that's a big part of it. You know, um, it, it takes a lot of those very common themes uh, from uh, different apps and from, the, from you know, those Apple uh, interfaces that everybody loves, and it, it, it maps those to uh, an agronomic system. So those, we didn't re, we try not to reinvent uh, the navigation or themes, we try to keep it really logical so somebody can pick up the application and, and just start using it from the beginning. So uh, with things that they're familiar with, uh, with uh, cues and, 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 and buttons and, and things that they, they'd be using in other aspects of their lives. So that's a, that's a big part of it. And Zach, technology is fantastic, but at the end of the day, I think it really makes sense to a producer to look at their break-even and their costs, their, the things that they're spending extra money on. How does AgWorld's system work? Is it a subscription base or is it a one-time type of fee structure? Yeah, it is subscription-based. So the great thing about AgWorld is is, is you're, you're buying into a system that, that provides you the software, the support, the service, um, all included. It's at a really reasonable cost, and it's um, it's per company, uh, and, com- and and our company structure for growers is sized by uh, the types of tools that you want to use, and and um, the number of, of people that you're engaging in the system. So it's it's not that you have to buy it and you have to use everything. You can start small and grow into it. Um, or obviously you can come in and, and start using the full package at the beginning, but our, typically people start uh, and, and they grow in the system. So that's, uh, you know, it's a testament, I think, to the, the, the product working. So people are willing to um, continue to add to it and, and, and build that into their, their, uh, their workflow as a farm uh, or an advisory company. And that, that's a testament to the solution working. We have very low uh, customer churn, so people that, that leave the system is, is extremely low. It's typically that they stop farming or are, are leaving the industry. But, um, you know, that's the whole idea is getting people at the right level that works for their business financially. Um, you know, one of my things coming from the grower side is every investment needs to have a return on investment for you. So is it helping me manage my risk? Is it helping me? Uh, with financials to make better decisions, or is it is it making me more profitable? Those are things like directly more profitable. Those are things that you that you need to 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 be able to prove to justify your value 
to my organization, and that's what I'm, you know, and, and our, our team is passionate about in, in helping um, growers and making sure that, that we have that same um, ability to justify to each organization that we work with. So it's, it's, it's not a per acre fee. It's, um, it's a company fee. Uh, you don't have to buy everything. You can buy the level that works for you, and um, you can stay at that level. Uh, or you can you can grow as typically uh, people do, but um, you could even move down if you really wanted to. So uh, that it's a it's a per user per year subscription. Um, with that, as we create updates and we bring new features and functions, uh, those all come into the tool uh, uh, with you know within your existing subscription. So that's really uh, really great, I think, for our users as well. So you're you're not buying a piece of software that's going to go out of date or feel old, um, that's, there's no investment there. So uh, we, we really uh, look at our, our whole platform and say, hey, how can we make this better over time? And we continue to add features, functions, and, and sometimes remove buttons to make it simpler uh, to use and, and, and growers just, just get that value from being um, uh, a, a customer of AgWorlds. Fantastic. Zach, for listeners who want to get more information, tell us where can they go for your website and additional data? Yep, you can go to www.agworld.com. Um, and we've got case studies there. Uh, we have videos of, of, of um, our customers with the tool. You can look on in the iTunes App Store. Uh, you'll see we have well over a thousand uh, reviews between our iPad and iPhone apps. So we're one of the most reviewed software, uh, definitely the most reviewed ag software that's out there. So not most reviewed of all software, but for ag software, we're we're very high on our, our customer views, over four and a half stars, which we're <laughs> very proud of on, on that side. But you can look there on those written written reviews, the stars there, um, and and the, the website for case studies. I think we have 60 to 70 uh, different case studies um, looking at the different crops that we serve. Uh, and customer types and segments that we serve um, with AgWorld. So you can you can look there for more information, uh, or uh, you can uh, call us. We're we're always uh, open to a call. So uh, if 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 that's better for you, that's also listed on our website at agworld.com, and um, you can also get more information at support at agworld.com uh, for for email. Fantastic, Zach Sheely, the president of AgWorld U.S. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. We always appreciate new companies bringing, or not new companies, 10-year-old companies, bringing new value to farmers here in agriculture. Hey, thanks again for having me. Well, again, a big thank you there to Zach for joining us today. Mike, if people would like to join us in general on social media or in previous podcasts, where they can they go to do that? Well, they should check us out on social media. Just search for Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, of course, visit our website. Go to agnewsdaily.com. That will take you to our home at the Global Ag Network. Scroll to the bottom of the page. You can sign up for our newsletter and get updates weekly in your inbox from our podcast as well as those other podcasters on the Global Ag Network. Get caught up with all the voices from agriculture represented by the Global Ag Network. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.